Welcome. This is a Vascular Forum interview. Hello and welcome to the Vascular Forum interviews. Here with us today is Professor Sebastian de Vos. He is chairman of the Department of Vascular Medicine at the University Heart Center, Hamburg-Eppendorf in Germany, and has been Secretary General of the ESVS for the past five years. The main scope of this interview is to discuss the Voyeur trial, or Rivaroxaban in Peripheral Artery Disease After Revascularization, published in March 2020 in the New England Journal of Medicine, in the context of new data and upcoming guidelines on antiplatelet and anticoagulant treatment in PAD. Sebastian de Vos is one of the authors, as well as one of the members of the executive committee of this trial. Thank you very much for making the time to join us here today. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to participate today, and I'm happy to join you. The Voyager trial is a double-blind trial comparing the dual pathway, ribaroxaban, 2.5 milligrams twice daily, plus aspirin, 100 milligrams daily, versus placebo plus aspirin in patients with PAD who had undergone lower extremity revascularization with a primary composite efficacy endpoint of acute limb ischemia, major amputation for vascular causes, myocardial infarction, ischemic stroke or death from cardiovascular causes, and a primary safety outcome of major bleeding. How and when did the idea for this trial originate? Well, the first thoughts are already very old. They are coming out of 2013 and 14. This was a time when the COMPASS trial, running the same regimen on stable PAD patients, was still on the road and patients were recruited and COMPASS was finished early because of overwhelming positive results for the combination of rivaroxaban plus aspirin. So the decision from the sponsoring company buyer was taken before COMPASS results were published. And I think we were very lucky, especially as vascular surgeons, for this decision. Because if COMPASS already would have been published, Bayer probably wouldn't have decided anymore to run another trial on unstable patients receiving surgery or endovascular treatment because the results were so overwhelming positive for this new combination. So the decision was taken before the interim results of COMPASS were published. And that was around 2013 and 2014. So quite early, actually. So the study managed to randomize 6,564 patients in 542 participating sites in 34 countries. How difficult has it been to organize and run a trial of this scope and size? It sounds extremely challenging. Well, indeed, it was extremely challenging, also because it was an interventional trial. And we as vascular surgeons are commonly not used to such big multi-center randomized trials. This is actually an almost unique situation, running such a global study in so many sites and in so many countries. So it was challenging. However, the positive point was Bayer is very much used to such kind of studies because pharmacology studies are used to include many, many patients. The real challenge here was to keep patients who had received surgery or endovascular treatment on board. 
And Bayer included a company which was very much experienced in many similar trials in the years before called CPC from Denver in Colorado. They performed a very close monitoring and had a very intense direct contact to the sites. Eligible patients were 50 years or older and must have received a successful revascularization procedure distal to the external iliac artery, open endovascular or hybrid, within the previous 10 days for symptomatic PAD. Exclusion criteria include, among others, the procedure being performed to repair an asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic restenosis of a bypass graft or target lesion restenosis an acutely ischemia within two weeks prior to the qualifying revascularization, major tissue loss proximal to the metatarsal heads, patients requiring aspirin in doses larger than 100 mg a day, or systemic anticoagulation or dual antiplatelet therapy for longer than six months, patients with end-stage renal disease or poorly controlled diabetes or uncontrolled hypertension. How does the selection of patients for the trial impact generalizability of the results and application in clinical practice? What kind of patients do the results in this trial apply to? Well, that's a very good question. You may have been aware that following publishing COMPASS results, there was a very broad European license for this combination of this new drug in a vascular dose, as we call it, 2.5 milligrams twice daily in combination with aspirin, 100 milligrams, for merely all PAD patients, not even excluding patients needing surgery or endovascular treatment, although the Voyager data were not published yet. So there was a new opportunity for our patients to treat following Voyager and their results, which were published in 2020, as you said, these were very similar and comparable to the COMPASS results. Even surgical patients and endovascular patients do better with this new combination of doses. For that reason, in our policy, all vascular patients suffering from a multi-site atherosclerosis, which is the vast majority of our patients, So, merely every patient receives this new drug combination now. Although patients with long-term clopidogrel were excluded from this study, patients with dual antiplatelet therapy after the revascularization procedures for up to six months, very common after infraringinal endovascular procedures, were included. Why was this decided in this way, and could it not potentially confound the results? Yeah, very good question. And indeed, when we started running this trial, clopidogrel was excluded. And at a second stage in a separate amendment, clopidogrel was offered to be used by the centers at their own disclosure. This actually brought us into the situation that we had a large subgroup of especially endovascular patients receiving different lengths of additional clopidogrel showing that there was a higher overall bleeding rate in those patients receiving dual antiplatelet treatment depending on the length of this treatment. So our conclusion was in a separate subgroup analysis, which will be published within the next weeks in Lancet, that we suggest to limit dual antiplatelet regime in addition to rivaroxaban to as short as possible time ideally not more than 30 days. Okay, so that's a very interesting article to look forward to in the next couple of Mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah. 
So a little over 30 of the patients in each trial arm discontinued treatment prematurely. Could the estimated sample size and statistical power be reached despite this percentage of dropouts? And did any patient cross over to the other arm? That was indeed a big obstacle. And the study monitors were very, very closely looking for those dropouts. We almost had no crossover patients. That was not not our problem, but we had dropouts. However, if you compare the overall percentage of dropouts in Voyager, which was 14.2%, and compare this with other interventional studies being published, this is a quite low percentage. Other trials have more than 20%, 25%, like Caspar trial, for instance. So we actually quite on a good run, and it didn't affect the statistical ability to analyze our data. Regarding the patient's baseline characteristics, the median age was 67 years, 74% were men, 35% active smokers, 40% diabetic, 20% had some degree of chronic renal failure, and 31% had known coronary artery disease. Two-thirds were treated with endovascular techniques and one-third with open surgery. 77% were revascularized because of severe claudication and 23% because of critical limb ischemia. Do you think this is a representative cohort of our everyday clinical practice? Hard to answer this question because policies in treatment do differ from country to country. This was also the case in our trial we realized that the majority of included patients received surgical treatment in the Eastern European parts, and the majority received endo treatment in the Western countries. So this was a true difference. Also, smoking habits are very different from country to country. For instance, Germany or France have a smoking prevalence of around 20%, and Sweden only 10%. So this is very hard to look at. However, from a global point of view, I think this quite well represents our clinical everyday practice. Also, they were quite young, overall 67 years, as you pointed out. But I think this is due to the fact that the majority of included patients were claudicans and not with critical limb ischemia. The primary composite efficacy outcome occurred in 17.3% and 19.9% at three years in the rivaroxaban and placebo arms, respectively, favoring the rivaroxaban and aspirin regime with a hazard ratio of 0.85 and a confidence interval of 0.76 to 0.96. This protective event was mainly significant for acute limb ischemia events and unplanned index limb revascularization for recurrent limb ischemia. Death from any cause was similar in both arms. How can we interpret this? Why and how does this dual pathway protect specifically from lower limb ischemic events more than from coronary or cerebrovascular events? We need to differentiate overall mortality from cardiovascular death and treatment patients from overall patients within the overall group. As we already pointed out, we had quite a high dropout rate or patients not receiving the drug over the entire study. We finally found out that overall, the entire community of patients had a higher cardiovascular mortality rate. However, if we looked into those patients being on treatment, cardiovascular death was reduced. However, Overall mortality 
did not really differ. So there was not no decrease in the Rivaroxaban group in the overall mortality rate. And I think this is caused by the fact that many patients are dying from associated causes like bronchial carcinoma. This is also included into these data. But I think the real message is that patients on treatment have a less frequent cardiovascular mortality. There are supplemental subgroup analyses in the online appendix of the published paper. It is very interesting that the primary composite efficacy endpoint is specifically significant in patients younger than 75 years, men, patients with normal renal function, non-diabetics, hyperlipidemic patients, those with known coronary artery disease but no heart failure, patients with claudication, and patients with a surgical index procedure. Patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia show a strong trend towards a beneficial effect, but strictly without statistical significance, for a hazard ratio of 0.85 but confidence interval of 0.69 to 1.05. Yet these patients are the ones with greater limb and cardiovascular risk. Should we use the dual therapy of rivaroxaban and aspirin in our patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia? Yeah, this is a problem of the subgroups in this trial. As I pointed out earlier, the vast majority of patients included in this trial were claudicants. We had only a few number of these critical limb ischemic patients. And I think the effect is mainly caused by a low number. So we miss statistical significance here. But actually, if you look at the data, the effect in these critical ill patients was quite high. Something similar happens with endovascular treatment. The composite endpoint shows a hazard ratio of 0.90, but confidence interval of 0.77 to 1.05. The use of short-term clopidogrel did not affect the results in any way. What pharmacological treatment do you think offers greater secondary protection after these infrainguinal endovascular revascularization procedures? Dual antiplatelet therapy? Dual pathway with rivaroxaban and aspirin, one regimen, and after a few months, switch to the other? Or are there subgroups of endovascular patients who can benefit from one treatment or the other? As I pointed out earlier, there is a paper going on to be published very soon on the effect of clopidogrel, answering exactly your questions here. This paper was written by Will Hyatt as main author who was also the director of the study and unfortunately passed away a couple of weeks ago. And this was actually his final paper he published and he worked on very hard. But the message out of this paper was very conclusive. The only effect of clopidogrel in addition to aspirin or aspirin plus rivaroxaban was a higher incidence of bleeding rates no positive effect of higher functional rates, no better patency, no increase of limb salvage. It was just a higher bleeding rate. That's the key message out of this. So the benefit in diabetic patients is not so clear-cut, with a hazard ratio for the primary endpoint of 0.94 and a confidence interval of 0.79 to 1.11. Not significant. Why do you think this was so? To be honest, I don't know. This is just an outcome out of this study, which is not really plausible. But you are absolutely right. We had 33% in both arms. 
And I personally don't understand this result too, but this was just how it is. And uh, sometimes results are not explainable really. And that's the case for me at this point here. Regarding safety, major bleeding occurred in 2.65% of the patients in the Ruberoxaban group and 1.87% of the placebo group, a non-significant hazard ratio of 1.43, according to the TIMI classification. According to the ISTH classification, the difference was significant, with a 1.42 hazard ratio against Ruberoxaban. Intracranial hemorrhage and fatal bleeding were similar in both arms. What kind of bleeding did the patients mainly experiment? Yes, it was fortunate that we only had very few intracranial hemorrhages and also fatal bleedings in both arms. That was a good message out of the study. The main bleedings were gastrointestinal bleedings, actually. We had a separate look on these gastrointestinal bleedings within patients enrolled in the COMPASS study, which showed a very interesting outcome. Because 22% out of these gastrointestinal bleedings were actually very early index bleedings for gastrointestinal carcinoma. We were even able to detect those cancers at a very early stage due to those bleedings. So that was actually the case here. We had gastrointestinal bleedings mainly. Does the net clinical benefit support the use of the rubaroxavan and aspirin combination? Well, as you know, the follow-up period and enrollment time in Voyager was almost three years. And what we were able to detect was that we had a clinical net benefit already at the very beginning and then accruing over time. So the benefit in comparison to harm was increasing over time. And that is actually the reason why we suggest to initiate this Voyager regime and then continue with the same regime in the chronic phase, like the COMPASS regime. So this should be a long-standing therapy combination in those patients. To finish off, what are the key take-home messages after this trial? There are several pharmacological possibilities to choose from in patients undergoing lower extremity revascularization for PAD. What is the ideal patient profile for dual pathway with rivaroxaban and aspirin? And in what kind of patients would you recommend a different regime? The main take-home messages are we have a very good trial, a randomized multicenter trial on unstable PAD patients, and we were able to collect a large group of patients, including 30% of surgical revascularizations, and directly compare them with endovascular treatment. This is a very positive message. We do have a good trial with surgical patients. The second message is we were able to obtain a clinical net benefit for patients receiving rivaroxaban plus aspirin with only little harm of bleeding and no statistical harm of severe intracranial bleeding. And the third message out of this is the clinical net benefit for these patients is accruing over time. So the longer the patients will stay on this treatment regime, the better the outcome will be and the less often they will develop acute limp ischemia or other acute cardiovascular events. Well, thank you very much for joining us today for this Vascular Forum interview, Professor Devos, and clarifying all these details from the trial.
On behalf of our team, we would like to congratulate you, the co-authors and all the participants for this landmark study that will impact our practice and benefit of patients. It has been a real pleasure talking to you and learning from your experience. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. I would be happy if many of us would adapt to this new treatment regime now. We will be back soon with more Vascular Forum podcasts. Remember, you can listen to them, open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, and Vascular Forum webpage, and the ESVS e-library. Thank you.